0: Morning, guys. Uh, my name is Graham Cowgill. I'm the student ministries pastor here. I realized I talked, I'm not going to make this mistake again. Pulled that out before. It was so embarrassing. Um, I realized I spoke like two weeks ago and I, I never officially said, We had our babies, by the way. I, somebody asked me on the patio, they're like, Did that happen? My wife is not 49 weeks pregnant. We actually had the babies and they're beautiful. I've got a picture of them up here. Yeah. No applause needed just wanted to make sure you guys knew that she wasn't, you know, just toting around a massive 49-week belly. It actually happened. And I know they look beautiful right there, don't they? Goodness gracious. Um, These kids are killing me, boy. (laughs) I'm glad everything looks peaceful in this picture, because that girl, uh, she's colicky. And so if she's not asleep or feeding, then she's crying. And she has this cute little cry that she does. That's the kind of cry that I would make if I was getting beaten to death with a hammer. That's like her default cry, which is awesome for everybody. So, you know, thanks a lot. But I can't complain because of Caleb's message last week when he told us not to. So everything's a blessing. That's great, Caleb. Thanks a lot. Um, before we get started this morning, can we pray? Lord, today, I know we've got a ton of stuff going on. Um, holiday season's coming up. We've got travel plans. We've got things to buy, um, things to maneuver. But right now in this time, would you let us just put all that to the side? Would we be totally available this morning to hear the word that you would speak to us? Um, Our ears are open. Our hearts are opened. Speak specifically, uniquely to everybody in here. We trust you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, last week Caleb alluded to the coming chaos of the holiday season, and it didn't disappoint. Anybody seen the Black Friday videos? It is unbelievable. There's a video where uh, I think it's Walmart, and the doors open, and there's these boxes that are stacked, and there's this mad rush, and people are just tackling these boxes, and they don't even know what's in the boxes, right? <laughs> It's just, there's this one video in particular where this lady grabs one from a child, right? She doesn't even, what is this, you know, egg slicer. I need eight of them. And people are just going totally bananas. And I'm watching this and I'm like, man, this is rough. I can only watch about two of those before I'm like, this is, this is disgusting. You know, this is really, really tough to watch. And it is, it's disgusting. But it's a group of people who are caught up in the moment, Right? And in that moment, essentially what's happened is they have dehumanized the people around them, The people are no longer people. People are obstacles. People are things that stand in the way of you doing what you want to do or getting what you you want. And um, I know that we look at that and we say, gross. Um, And it may not manifest itself that way in our lives, but all of us have trained ourselves to dehumanize in some way. Um, Fair warning, this next illustration is a little bit rough. Um, If you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamond, brilliant movie. And in the movie, there is this, uh, a terrorizing uh, rebel army that's moving across South Africa. It's called the RUF, if you remember in the movie. And they take out entire villages, Uh, this force does. And then they make the children of the villages that they take out become their foot soldiers. And in one of the most gut-wrenching scenes or sequences in the movie, they essentially, they brainwash these kids and they dehumanize people uh, through a series of events. What they do actually is they blindfold the children and they make the children spray bullets into a crowd. And then the next step is they have the children shoot people with their back turned. And then the final step is shooting somebody when you're looking them in the face. And at that moment, these children are completely, everybody's dehumanized. Everybody's object, there's no longer people in front of them. They have actually rewired their brain to look past people. And it doesn't show up to that degree, of course. But in some capacity, I believe that every one of us has trained our brain, has trained ourselves to look past people. We've rewired ourselves to look past people. It's the only way that we can live with ourselves when we ignore the marginalized. Right? It's the only way that we can live a self-focused life and we can still sleep at night. Is if we train ourselves to dehumanize, to look past, to compartmentalize and say that's over there and stay over here. Now, it doesn't start off bad. As a matter of fact, the way that normally starts off, this process of dehumanizing, it starts off because there's a conversation, an inner conversation that happens every time an opportunity to help or to give comes up. And the inner conversation is the should I or shouldn't I. And that's an exhausting conversation. And what happens is we enter that conversation three times in a week, and we say, this is too tiring. I'm done. And sure enough, we train ourselves to look past those situations, look past those people. I believe that in the same way that there's been this mental process of dehumanizing, I believe that there are fundamental truths and practices that we can know, that we can do, that will reinvigorate our passion, our appreciation, our love for people. You guys heard the old adage that says, uh, a smooth sea never made a skillful sailor. You ever heard that? Uh, I figured if we were going to practice generosity at any time, it would be in the season where it's the most consumeristic and the most self-absorbed. We're about to enter a season that is going to be total chaos and hectic. And I believe that we, as a group of people, are going to come through this holiday season not just saying, yes, I survived Christmas, we're going to come through this season and our hearts are going to be healthier than they've ever been before. That the state of our soul is going to be better than it is now. That God is going to use us inside of this city through the realizations that we have this Christmas season. You know that God has designed you to be generous. God has designed me to be generous. God has designed us to love people. Now we've gotten screwed up and our perspective has gotten lost, and we've dehumanized. But I believe that through this season, we can return to that original design, and we can be a people that go out in power very simply by recognizing how God has intended us to live. This is going to be a season of power, not a season of losing yourself or losing your soul. Um, Paul J. Meyer uh, is a leadership guy. He writes leadership books. And I was reading a book from him, and he said this. He said that productivity is never by accident. It's always the result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. I was thinking to myself, I think generosity is the exact same way. Generosity is never by accident. You're never accidentally generous, right? Now, you can accidentally give something away. I was In Florida, I let somebody borrow my Elf DVD, never got it back. I accidentally gave that away. I wasn't generous. You're not accidentally generous. The reason you're not accidentally generous is because generosity is a heart condition. Generosity is a motive. You're never going to be accidentally generous. I'm going to tell a story today that I believe is going to stir the pot a little bit. Um, But before I do, I want to say this because I think it's important. I want to acknowledge and I want to make sure that you guys know that God speaks to you just as he speaks to me. There's not anything special about being on stage or or having a pastor title. God does not speak to me more than he speaks to you or or speak to Caleb more than he speaks to you. And the reason I say that is because we're going to bring up things today, issues and topics that don't have finite do's or don'ts, that don't have absolute shoulds or shouldn'ts. And I want to make it clear that the most exciting part, in my opinion, of a sermon are the things that you can take back, and through the week, you can wrestle with. You can talk to God about. As a matter of fact, I view that as my role. My role is very simply to bring up topics that you get to talk to God about during the week. And so just know that. Here's the story. A little bit ago, uh, I was in McDonald's, and I was reading my Bible. McDonald's and Bible, two favorite things in the world. Come home. And uh, this couple approached me, and... um, started to talk to me, and it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that they were asking for money. And fast forward, actually we talked for about an hour and 15 minutes, and uh, the whole time I was, I was kind of trying to figure out, you know, is this legit, um, determine the validity of their request, and, you know, I'm reading between lines, and I'm doing all this, and finally, um, I feel compelled to give them money that they're asking for. And to let you know, it was an amount of money that I had to drive to the bank to withdraw and come back. Um, during the drive, I am talking to God, and I'm just asking him questions, and I'm leaning into him, and I get back. I give them the money. Long story short, it was a scam. Um, that this was a story that they had told who knows how many people, and I'd given it to them, and, and that was that. Here's the point. Uh, I came away from that day, and inside of that time, probably three hours that I had spent with this couple, I was fully invested in these two people. I I was I had like stirred this love in my heart for these two people. My heart broke for them. Even if what they said was a lie, my heart broke that they had to tell this lie that they were in a position to lie to get money. My heart broke for him. Inside of that time, I was talking with God. I became closer to God. I had an opportunity to give up, to release this money that I would have spent on myself otherwise. Now, I'm not saying that what I did was right. I'm not saying that what I did was wrong. But I will say that I came away from that situation um, a stronger person. I came away from that situation a more compassionate person. I came away from that situation a better person, I truly believe. Now, a lot of people in here will say, okay, I hear you, Graham, but listen, I don't give money, okay, I don't do that, I give food, right, I I heard there a lot, I give meals, and that's great, when was the last time you gave a meal? When was the last time you gave food? Um, What I think, and now listen, I know, enabling is a very real thing, right, it is, Codependency is a very real thing, and I'm not minimizing those things at all, but I do think that a lot of the time, we hide behind those words very simply so we don't have to enter the conversation of should I or shouldn't I. It's Very easy to paint it all in a, nope, that's enabling, and just, and just pawn it off on the next person. All right, that's enabling, so I don't need to help out. Another story, I was driving 73 South, and I was going to exit MacArthur, if you've ever done that, you know that there's about a half a mile stretch of opportunity to get to the turning lane for MacArthur, okay? And in the morning, it fills up, and there's a line back there, and sure enough, inevitably, there's always some knucklehead that pulls up, doesn't feel like they need to wait in the line, and they go all the way up to the shoulder, and then they force themselves in, right? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that my character is not as impressive in those moments than it was in McDonald's that day. I, uh, I'm this, I'm this guy, like, I'm an eighth of an inch away from the bumper in front of me, and I'm just making eye contact, you know, I'm like fully flexed, I'm sweating, I'm like, there are consequences in life, like, you know that, right, Like, you can't just do whatever you want, like, I'm going to teach the, it's my responsibility to teach these guys consequences, and I find myself just so tense, and white-knuckled, and sweaty, and weird, and awkward, and actually, I can feel in that moment, I can feel my soul callusing, you know, I can feel myself hardening. I've never walked away from that situation with an increased compassion for people. <laughs> right? And it's because in that moment I'm the judge, I'm the jury. That moment I decide who's worthy of my compassion. That moment I decide who's worthy of my kindness. And we do this a lot. This is mine. And if, if, if I give it to you, I need to determine what it's spent on. Let's take money. If you give money to somebody, the thought a lot of times, and again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying that a lot of times we think if we give money, then it better be used the way that we think it should be used, right? Like we're going to have a conversation one day if we gave a homeless person money and God's going to say, okay, so your heart broke for somebody less fortunate. Um, Yeah, you saw their needs above yours. You gave out of something that you earned. Okay, that's great. You know that the money you gave, Graham, you know what they spent it on? A Twinkie, Graham. A Twinkie. There are no Omega-3s in Twinkies, Graham. Okay, that's on you. That's on your head, right? And that's what we think. Or they spent it on cigarettes or whatever. And again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong to give money, but here's what I'm saying. I have found that more and more I see it is less about the gift, it's less about even what is done with the gift, and it is more about the health of our heart. It is more about the state of our soul. Ever thought that God may be giving us opportunities to be generous, very simply to strengthen the state of our soul? And what God is truly doing is trying to give us opportunity to cultivate in ourselves the type of heart that he can use to do miracles inside of this city. God is excited for what this group is going to do. And he's excited because he has a room full of healthy hearts that he's going to use to show his love to a city, not the gift or what, or what comes of it. If you have your Bibles... Um, Open to Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I believe that more important than the gift is the condition of the heart giving the gift. We have an incredibly generous church. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that. We are very generous. As a matter of fact, we're in the middle of a campaign. It's called the Step-In Campaign, and we are raising funds to move locations so that we can have more seats in here so more people can hear about how much God loves them. Now, we're in this campaign to raise $1.5 million to move to the Regency Movie Theater's On the second busiest intersection in Orange County, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what God is not excited about, he's not excited about the one and a half million dollars. He's not like, ooh, one and a half million dollars, that's so much, I can't believe it. Right? He's the God of infinite resources. He's a God that breathed the universe into existence. What God is excited for is that He has a church full of people who are beginning to get back to their original design of stirring compassion inside of themselves. That we are sacrificing our time, effort, and money to the step in campaign to move into a building very simply because we are aroused with love and emotion for people. God is excited about this thousand-person church because God can do more with healthy hearts than he can with money. And he is giving us opportunities to be generous, not for whatever happens, but very simply to cultivate our hearts, to make us people that he can use to show his love to the people around us. Now, I keep saying money, but it can be anything, right? It can be whatever you find yourself held captive by, you know? For a lot of people, that's money. Um, a lot of people, that's all they think about. Uh, I know a buddy of mine. It, it, is, it is a consuming thing that he finds himself just consumed with money. Making money, showing off money, it takes over him. Uh, for other people, it's time. That's mine. Uh, I hoard time, and I feel like I deserve my time. And if you use my time, then you better use it wisely, okay? Because I don't give that away. If you're going to ask me to help you move on Saturday, when I show up, you better have all of your boxes taped (laughs) perfectly, all right? better have color-coded bungee cords that go with them, and let's do that thing. And trust me, um, I can hide behind the word boundaries. And I can say, no, it's just setting boundaries. But honestly, I'm very selfish with my time. I hoard my time. No matter what it is, whatever that thing is, God wants to point that out. Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why I wanted to point this out. This is not a, a guilt and shame and, and God's like, yeah, tell them, like get them. This is very simply God saying, there is something in your life that you're holding tightly to. And I have a fulfilling life for you. As a matter of fact, I have plans designed for you to use you in a way that nobody else can be used on the face of the earth. And it's going to be used through your generosity and giving things up. And I just want to point out the thing that's coming in between us. You're holding so tightly to this other thing that you're not able to be free. You're a slave to that thing. It's a rejoicing moment. It's a freedom moment when God points that out. To say, oh, I no longer have to be held to that. I'm no longer a slave to that. God is pointing out because we said at the beginning, generosity is not an accident So if we're going to be intentional with giving the thing that we hold on to the most, we need to know what we default hold on to the most. It's just determining right now where our treasure is. Uh, When we talked about the Black Friday shoppers at the beginning, I think one thing that the word maybe that had escaped them is also the word that, for me, is the most compelling and attractive descriptive word or what we're going to experience, I think, in heaven. And the word is clarity. I think it is going to be so cool when we get to heaven and we have absolute clarity. We're going to have absolute clarity on, you know, the destructiveness of sin. We're going to have absolute clarity on the magnitude and the awesomeness of God. We're going to have absolute clarity on the intricacies of the plan that God has for us here on earth. We're going to have absolute clarity on the beauty that he has designed in each other. We're going to have absolute clarity. And that is why I think the Gospels, if you ever heard that, they're the first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are the written accounts of Jesus on his time here on earth. Now, Jesus, when he came, he's fully God and fully man. And that's why I think it's interesting Because when we watch the life of Jesus, we get to see what somebody with absolute clarity does here on earth. What are the decisions that are made by God with a divine and perfect perspective? What does he decide to do with his time, with absolute clarity on earth? Isn't that cool? And so when Jesus came to earth, he knew that he was going to die for us. He knew that he was going to raise to life three days later he knew after a given amount of time that he was going to ascend, that he was going to go back to heaven, and the people who were responsible for catalyzing the Christian faith forward, the people responsible for propelling the Christian faith forward for thousands of years were the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. Isn't that crazy? He was going to go. You guys are responsible for the good news to be spread and to sustain for thousands of years. So every time that Jesus has his interaction with the disciples, you know he is maximizing the impact and effectiveness of that time. What he chooses to do, what he chooses to talk about, is what he deems the most impactful thing inside of that time, to build them up, to send them out, to catalyze the Christian faith. So the night before Jesus is actually arrested, and he is taken off to die, his last night of freedom, um, you may have heard the meals now referred to as the Last Supper. But he sits down with his disciples. And it's after, after they walk, and they sit down, and they're dirty and dusty. And Jesus says, takes off his outer garments, wraps this towel around him, stoops down, and he takes a basin of water. And in an act that's usually reserved for servants, he takes his towel, and he dips it in, and he takes the foot, and begins to thoroughly, methodically, to wash the feet of the disciples, to take time with each foot, to dry it off, to look into the eyes of his disciples in that moment, to humanize his followers, to, point, to recall stories that they had experienced together, to weep together, but he sees them. He looks into their eyes, and he says, I cherish you. I choose to serve you. I choose to be generous to you. That's the most impactful thing Jesus decided he could do at that moment. If we're going to follow Jesus' example, the most impactful thing that we can do is to be generous. The most impactful thing that we can do is to serve, is to begin to see the people around us as the beautiful children that God has created. We say in youth all the time, we say have a conversation with somebody, and come away with it with three unique things you see that God has designed inside of that person. There is a process of rehumanizing the people around us. And God will use us inside of that for power. Um, have you ever seen the movie Schindler's List? It's one of, I think, one of the most powerful movies ever made. Um, it outlines the life of Oskar Schindler, who is a German industrialist. Uh, during the time of World War II. And actually, Oscar Schindler buys and employs 1,200 Jews during that time to save them from concentration camps. Um, There's a scene at the end of the movie where Oscar Schindler is faced with the 1,200 people that he saved. And he's looking them in their eyes. And they're giving giving him their gratitude. And he just has this breakdown, a total breakdown. And he just says... I could have done so much more. I could have done so much more. I gave away so much money. You have no idea. I gave away so much money. He looks over at his car and he says, That's 10 people right there. He looks at his watch. He says, That's two people right there. And I believe that Oscar Schindler, in that moment, has this divine clarity where more than the things that we can surround ourselves with, he sees the beauty of the people around him. He sees what God has designed here on earth. One day we're going to have a time when we have absolute clarity. And I don't want to look back on the things that I've hoarded, my time and my money and my resources, and then look back and see the hurting people that are around me that I could have made a difference in their lives. I think that God has given us opportunity not to guilt or to shame, but to say, can I reinvigorate today some passion for my children? Can I use your hearts, the healthy state of your hearts, to be my hands and feet out in the community? Because I think it's the opportunity opportunity of the church to give the people around us a taste of the love that God has for them. And other people are going to come through the holiday season and they're going to use it as leverage I think that we're going to come through the holiday season and it's going to be one of victory. I think that our city is going to look different because we're going to have a movement of a group of people who begin to see the people around us as God's beautiful children. God is going to use our generosity this season, friends. It's going to be a season of power. It's going to be a season of victory. Would you pray with me? Lord, this week, would you, would you put people in our path? Would you give us the opportunity to stop looking past people, to look into the eyes of your children, to realize that there is a story behind those sad eyes, to realize that you have created them with the same amount of intention that you've created us? You reinvigorate in our church, reinvigorate in our hearts, the sense of compassion, this love. Use us, use our excitement this season to change a city that flies in the face of everything going on in society that our power would come from being generous, from giving back, because Jesus, you gave your life for us and we respond to your goodness with our lives. We give freely. Excite our hearts. Ignite our passion. Allow us to love like you do. In your name, amen.